Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We're going to be receiving communion at the end of today's service. And uh, before I get into the scriptures, you know, that actually closely deal with that, just uh, make some some broad comments. Uh, Christianity is not a ritualistic religion. Unfortunately, many Christian denominations have become very ritualistic. But Christianity is not real, uh, re, uh, re, ritualistic uh, in its essence. It's not. But we, what we do have two sacred ordinances in the church and that are practiced. They were never to become rituals. They were not meant to be rituals. We should not approach them ritualistically. Of course, these two ordinances are water baptism and communion. And, uh, you know, today we, we are going to, to observe both of these. Communion in our morning service and water baptism in, a, in our evening service. And I, I talked to Angela and I, I, I don't know for sure because there have been a lot of these over the years. I don't ever remember a Sunday where we've had both of these on the same day. I don't remember that. And uh, so, so we're blessed today to be able to observe both of these ordinances. Now, they're called ordinances and they're called sacraments. Some churches call them sacraments. Sacraments simply comes from uh, a word that, that, or a couple of words that mean sacred things. And so they're sacred things, and they are sacred. And they're called ordinances because they were ordained by the Lord. Now, I prefer the, the word ordinance over sacraments because the... Highbrow churches, if you want to use that phrase, you know, the liturgical type churches, they have so uh, invested uh, religion and uh, uh, emphasis in, in these things that shouldn't be there to the point that some Christian denominations uh, say that these things are essential for salvation and that, that partaking of communion or being baptized in water is actually the physical act itself is actually part of the salvation process. Well, that's not scriptural. There is no saving efficacy in water baptism or in taking communion. None whatsoever. However, both are ordained of the Lord and so both are essential for full obedience to the Lord. And so we need to have them. But like I said, some, some organizations and denominations have elevated them to a, to a point uh, beyond where they should be. And sort of, there's a paradox there because at the same time, they've watered them down. And one way they've done that, and in our church, we, we observe communion the first Sunday of, uh, we do it four times a year, quarterly. First Sunday of January, first Sunday of April, first Sunday of July, first Sunday of, of uh, October. Now, this month, because we had a guest speaker here, we didn't want that to, you know, to conflict with the guest speaker, so we moved it to today. But ordinarily, and sometimes we'll move it you know, off a of Sunday, but ordinarily we do it on, on those first Sundays. Now, uh, when Jesus ordained uh, communion, he just said, do it. 
Let's, let's go over there and look at Luke chapter 22. Hold your place in Matthew. We'll come back there. Look at Luke 22. And let's look at verse 17. Then he took the cup, that is Jesus took the cup and gave thanks, and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Now notice, do this in remembrance of me. So he wasn't just talking about what happened that night. He's talking about something that would take place in the future, doing it in remembrance of him. So Jesus commanded that we do it. Amen. While we're, while we're looking at our foundational scripture, go ahead and turn over to, to Matthew chapter 28. In verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, end of the age. So here he said, uh, baptize, go out and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach future generations to do all these things and observe all these things right up until the time he returns. So we have uh, the instructions to do these things. Uh, but the reason we, you know, he didn't say how often to do it. He just said, do it. And Paul, when he was writing to the church, he said, as often as you do these things, do them in remembrance of, of Jesus. But he didn't say how often. Now, the reason 40 plus years ago, the reason I decided that we would do it quarterly is because if you do communion, a lot of churches have communion every Sunday. Well, if you do it every Sunday, that becomes too common because this is, this is still a sacred thing. It's not a saving thing, but it's still sacred. And, and my concern early on was that if we did it every Sunday, like many churches do, it, it just becomes something that people don't really think about. So it's kind of a paradox. They've, they've exalted some of these churches, have exalted the significance, of, and at the same time, uh, diminished its value by doing it every Sunday. Well, we want to reverse that. We want to do it occasionally and, and have it mean something, but not mean the wrong thing. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So... Uh, like I said, both, uh, both of these things are, are, are symbolic. There's no, they don't save you. Uh, however, however, both are ordained by, by Christ himself and so are essential for full obedience to Christ. Both are beautiful, solemn emblems depicting the most fundamental spiritual realities of our faith. Water baptism depicts our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Communion depicts our union with Christ and with one another through the sharing of his blood and his body that was, that was given for us. So uh, uh, both, now neither of these things will give you salvation. They won't even help you be saved. You, you do these things only after you are born again. But when you partake of them in faith, 
putting faith in what they represent, it brings those blessings. So blessings are appropriated through communion and water baptism. Water baptism, I'm saying this because we're going to do this tonight. Water baptism, now, now can I say this? Well, I know I can because I can. Uh, that's, a bad, that's a bad habit. I don't need to start that. Uh, I, I will say this. <laughs> I'm not saying this because uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm want, I want you to come back tonight. But I know from experience that many of you don't come back on Sunday night. So I'm not trying to trick you. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to, to uh, shame you anyway. And I'm not even trying to make, give, get you to make a commitment long term. Come back just tonight. Because we're doing both of the ordinances. And wouldn't it, why would, you, why would you want to be in on one and not get to witness the other? Because even though all of us are not being baptized in water, it's still a, a sacred ceremony that the church participates in by being a part of it. You don't have to go down into the water again, but you, you still participate by, by being in the company of those and, and worshiping with those and being in fellowship with those who are being baptized in water. And so why would you just come on Sunday morning? And because this is a, this is a package deal today. So why would you not come back tonight? Just, even if you don't normally come back. Well, I, I, you're, excuse, you're excusing, I, I just don't do that. Well, well, well why not? <laughs> I don't know, I just don't. Yeah, but I know you can. So come tonight and, and, and enjoy the second part of, of these two. Amen? Glory to God. Water baptism is the symbolic rite of entrance into the Christian church and signifies spiritual life begun. The Lord's Supper, communion, is the symbolic rite of communion and and signifies spiritual life continued. The first pictures faith in Christ. The second pictures fellowship with Christ. The first is administered only once, for there can be but one beginning of spiritual life. The second is administered frequently, teaching us that spiritual life must be nurtured. So that's, that's why uh, we don't do water baptism but one time, because you just enter into Christ one time. Now, that's not saying that you cannot be baptized again. I was baptized as a child, and my, I don't know how old my wife was when she was baptized, but she was baptized as a child. But I was, I was maybe seven years old, I think. And I'm not really sure I understood much about it. Uh, because our church wasn't a teaching church. Our denomination was a preaching denomination. We had, we had some of the greatest preachers in our denomination that's ever graced pulpits. I mean, phenomenal preachers. And I grew up on that. But we weren't a teaching denomination. And so a lot of times doctrine, uh, the, the, the uh, details of doctrine and what things were, what we believed were based on was, was only taught in a classroom somewhere. And, and so as I'm, what I'm saying is as a, as a young child, when I was baptized, I'm not really sure I understood much. And then when I was older, I backslid and uh, got far away from the Lord. And when I came back in the fellowship of the Lord, I want to get baptized all over again because it was like a new start for me. I didn't have to be because I'd been baptized as a child, had been saved as a child, but I got back into fellowship, rededicated my life, and, and, and it was such a change in my life, such a radical change. I wanted to be baptized in water again, and, and my wife uh, was baptized a few years later. She did too, and uh, praise the Lord. 
So uh, uh, let's get into the scriptures concerning this today. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to talk about communion this morning and I'll teach more in depth uh, on water baptism tonight and bring out some things that'll be helpful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, the word communion, if you have a margin, a reference Bible, you might notice that in the margin, it might tell you that the word communion means fellowship or sharing. So this, let's read it this way. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the fellowship and the sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the fellowship, the sharing of the body of Christ? For we... Though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So today in receiving communion, like I said, water baptism speaks of of faith in Christ. Communion speaks of fellowship with Christ and with one another because we are members of one another. Amen. So uh, let's go over to the 11th chapter and look at some other things that... uh, the Apostle Paul said, and let's start in the 17th verse. Now, in giving these instructions, now he's turning, he's not referring to the previous instructions. He's talking about the instructions he is about to give. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Isn't that amazing? You, when you come together, he's talking about you come to church. When you come together, you don't come together for better. You come together for worse. He's saying you're worse off. Isn't that terrible? You're worse off every time you come to church. Every time you get together, you're worse off than you were if you hadn't gotten together. That's, that's pathetic. I wonder how true that is. How many, how many places... Now, I'm not being critical of anybody because I'm not even thinking about anybody. I just wonder how many places people go to church and they're worse off. That's, 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 that's astonishing to me. Since you, are, you come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all. <laughs> now this is, this, is, this is not everything that was wrong. He just said first of all. Because if you go down to the end of this chapter, he said, uh, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He, he said, there's so much wrong with you guys that I only have time in this letter just to deal with one of them. And, but there's more, I'm coming. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, he had already dealt with this in this, in this chapter because he starts talking about, he said, first of all, when, I, when, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, he had already dealt with this in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. Look in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1. It has been declared to me, this is verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. 
Now I say this, that each one of you says, I am of of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or the real super spiritual one said, I am of Christ. What they were doing, they were saying, well, you know, my little group, we're we're followers of Paul. We're better than you guys. We follow the apostles. And the others were saying, yeah, but, but Apollos was, a, was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. And, and he helped us greatly. He's a tremendous teacher. We're, we're followers of, of, of Apollos. We're, we're deep in the word. Others are saying, well, yeah, but we follow Peter. You know, and, and, and Jesus said that, you know, he would build the church on Peter. Peter was, you know, one of the, one of the uh, three, you know, most intimate uh, apostles of the Lord. Paul wasn't even around. We, we follow Peter. And then there were those in, among them that said, well, <clears throat> we're, we're following Christ. All you guys can follow who you want to. And that's wonderful, but we follow Christ. So he dealt with this and uh, he said, uh, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then in the third chapter, he said, uh, verse one, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. Isn't that a wonderful word? Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I cannot speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal. You're carnal. Babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive, and even now you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behave like mere unchanged, unsaved men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He's saying all of this is, is ridiculous. But now in the, in the 11th chapter, it's more serious. It's not just carnal. It, it wasn't just there. It wasn't just carnal. They weren't just fleshly. It wasn't just something they shouldn't be doing. It was killing them. It was killing people in the church. People were dying, literally, physically dropping dead because of this division. Let's go to chapter 11 then again. First of all, verse 18. When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now let me read a couple of translations here. This will help. In uh, the, first, the first part of this where he said there must be factions among you, uh, Weist translation I think brings out the best understanding of this. He says it like this, for it is of necessity, it is a necessity in the nature of the case for factions to be among you. He wasn't saying that factions were good. He was saying because of what was going on, it was necessary that there be factions. And a couple other translations here say, in order that those who have God's approval may be clearly seen among you. That's uh, one of the uh, uh, Bible in, in uh, basic English. Moffat's translation says, if genuine Christians are to be recognized. It was hard to even recognize in that church who was genuine. Knox's translation says, so that those who are true may be distinguished from the rest. So Paul's saying, divisions are terrible. See, there were all of these cliques in the church. You know what a clique is? 
group of people that, you know, they, they just hang out with themselves, fellowship with themselves. And I've noticed something about cliques. They always think they're better than everybody else. They always think they're more superior. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Woo, I'm of Christ. They had all these cliques and the church was divided. And Paul said, because of that, it's actually necessary that you have these cliques so that you can identify who's not in the middle of one. Evidently, the true believers in the church, the true Christians, the the true serious lovers of God weren't in any clique. And that's how you knew who was good and who wasn't. If you were in a clique, you weren't doing right. My goodness. So evidently, the true believers didn't participate in any of this. Let's look at verse number uh, 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating... Each one takes his own bread ahead of others and one is hungry and another is drunk. Now there are two things in play here that you don't, that you don't just necessarily see in the scripture but the, the context and, and, if you, and if you look at it closely you see there were two things going on. There was in the early church, go over to, to Jude real quick, hold this place and quickly go to Jude. We'll look at one verse and come back. Jude and let's look at the... <clears throat> 12th chapter, or 12th verse. Jude verse 12 says, these are spots, talking about those who had uh, uh, crept into the church, false teachers and so forth. That's who he's talking about. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. There are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late almond autumn trees without fruit, twice twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own, their own shame, wandering stars for whom is deserved or reserved the blackness of darkness forever. It's pretty bad. <laughs> he has a pretty strong denunciation. And there's, there was probably these kinds of people that had come in to the church and had set up these cliques. And uh, so when they had what he called the love, when he referred to the love feast, the love feast was something that was practiced in the, in the first generation of the church, the first century of the church. They would come together and have a common meal very much like our church-wide fellowships. The only difference was the people would bring their own food and they wouldn't share it with anybody else. In other words, the brown would, would bring their food and they would just set up, you know, their table and they would eat together and, and, uh, and, and, and the condos, you know, they'd bring their food and they'd, you know, uh, eat by themselves. But they got together in, in some of these cliques as well. And the wealth, there were wealthy people in the church and there were people who didn't have very much. It didn't even have to be wealthy. In other words, if you had, if you, if you were well off enough that you could, that you could bring your food, that everybody, everybody would come in and they would, they would the, the people who had plenty would come in and they would eat ahead of everybody else. As soon as they got there, they'd just start eating. They wouldn't even wait for everybody else to get there. So they'd eat and then somebody else come in and they'd eat. And it, they were supposed to be eating together and sharing, but they weren't sharing. And so the, uh, and then they would follow up, they would follow up the love fest, the love feast, they would follow that up with communion. It would follow right at the heel. After they had eaten this common meal together, then they would actually receive the, the bread and the wine 
and, and receive of the Lord's Supper. But notice the Lord didn't show up. He said, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They thought they were eating the Lord's Supper, but he wasn't there. He, was, he, he had nothing to do with it. He said, you, you think you're eating the Lord's Supper, but you're not. Uh, because of what happened before. Because whenever in eating the common meal, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. In other words, the people that had plenty were, were eating to the point of gluttony and drunkenness, just overindulging. And the people who didn't have much or had very, you know, had nothing or very little, they were, they were not even satisfied. They were left hungry. And you have this going on at church. And it was creating, it, and it, it, really, it really flowed out of these factions and these divisions. That was the basis for it. He said, first of all, he said, I want to identify this, first of all. And the reason he, he, he had already brought it up earlier, but then he brought it up again. And in the first time he brought it up in chapter 1, chapter 3, he just said, you're carnal. And, and I can't really talk to you like spiritual people because you're babies. Well, that's, that's bad enough. But now he's, he's really focusing in on something that's very serious. Division in a church is one of the biggest things that can ever trouble a church. It's people being factious in little cliques and being divided and not fellowshipping with one another, not treating one another, each one with respect and honoring one another. Just coming to church to talk to my little group, hanging out with my little group. Don't even know other people's names because they're not in my group. That's not good. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 22, he says, uh, what? What? What in the world? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? No, I do not praise you. You see, the reason is that in Christ, all earthly distinctions are abolished. There are no distinctions. Now, we see one another differently, but we have, to, we have to combat that with the reality that in Christ there are no differences. Go with me over to Galatians chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Hold your place there, and, and uh, I'm going to look up another verse in, real quick in Colossians. Let me find it. Hallelujah. I want to say it's in the first, cha- first chapter. I'm, I'm, Colossians, uh, somebody find me the verse where it talks about the Scythians. Can you find that? It talks about the same thing, Jew, Gentile, 
Glory to God. I thought I had that written down. Glory to God. Barbarians, Scythians, slave or free. Is that in Colossians? 3.11. Okay. Yeah, hold your place in, in Colossians 3. Go back to uh, Galatians then. And let's look at chapter 3. Galatians 3. I transposed my my two verses. Huh? What 26? (laughs) You know why it didn't work? Because I'm in Ephesians. I'm thinking, (laughs) there there is no 26 verse. I must have written that down. It helps to get in the right book. Pray for me, church. Pray for me. Pray real hard. (laughs) In, in, In Galatians 3... Verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now go over to Colossians and let's look at it there. In Colossians verse number 11 where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, basically the same thing, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He breaks down all the different bases there are for division and people taking pride in their humanity. The Jew and Gentile situation was the racial divide of the day, particularly among the Jews. The Jews considered themselves a superior race and they looked down their nose on on everybody else. The Jews considered it's us and it's all the rest of you. You're all Gentiles and they looked down their nose at them. The Greeks and many of the Gentiles and those in the Greek culture, they resented the Jews because they're being treated the way they were. They looked, up at the, they looked at the Jews as being this weird, haughty, religious sect. And so he said, Jew or Gentile. There is, when you come to church, he said, there is no Jew or Gentile. Forget about it. So this is, this is the abolishing of all racial and religious pride and division. There's no place for it in the church. No place for racial pride. Well, I'm this, I'm that, and you're this, and you're not. And There's no place for that. None in the church. No place for, for religious. You know, we come out of different backgrounds. Some come out of different denominations. There's no, there's no pride in anything. We're all one in Christ. Then he says, uh, Greeks are barbarians. Over in, in Galatians. And in uh, Colossians, barbarians, Greeks, barbarians, and Scythians. Now, barbarians, when we look at the English word barbarians, we think of marauding tribes, you know, that come in and rip people apart. You know, they're barbaric. And, but the, the Greek word that was translated barbarians just simply meant foreigners. They're just foreigners. And, and part, of the re, the part of the word had the sound of Babel, and among the, among the Greeks, they looked down on other people that didn't understand, 
the Greek language and walk and understand the Greek culture. They thought people that, and, and particularly people who spoke different languages, it was okay if they spoke different languages as long as they could speak Greek. But people who couldn't speak Greek, the Greek people looked down on them. And so they, uh, the, the word barbarian from the Greek word, it was kind of a word that sort of sounded like babble. And it had to do with the language that they spoke. They looked down on people that didn't speak their language and didn't understand their culture. Now, the Scythians, on the other hand, were the real barbarians. The Scythians referred to people from Russia and Siberia who were notorious for their brutality. They were considered wild animals. I don't know if they were or not, but they were considered that. In fact, uh, uh, to be called a a Scythian was sort of a a proverb for being... uh, the wildest of the barbarians. They were the worst. You'd be afraid of the Scythians. Lock your doors. He said, listen, in the church, it doesn't matter what your cultural divide is. That's what this does, is this sets aside national and cultural pride and division, puts it aside. People come into the church, they're of a different race, doesn't have any bearing in the church. People come in there from another country, another culture. They might be from uh, across the ocean somewhere, doesn't speak to How many of you know, be honest. You will be honest in church. How many of you have gone on, gone on the phone for tech support and you got somebody on the phone that you cannot understand what they're saying? Anybody that's happening, you just can't understand what they're saying because they're, they're from all over the world. And you can't understand them. And sometimes it can be frustrating. You're thinking, you know, I'm calling for tech support for, for Americana fruit juice. And I've got somebody in Bangladesh that I can't communicate. Can you just get, connect me to somebody in Georgia? So I can understand what's being said. So yes, that, that, I understand the frustration. In the house of God, there's no place for it. There's no place for looking down or even thinking anything. Thank God people would come to our church from other nations and from other religions and from other cultures and other, other languages. Thank God. Because in Christ Jesus, there is zero difference. We are all one. Amen. Hallelujah. Slave or free. That is the the abolition of all social and economic pride and division. Don't look, we should never look down our nose at anybody because of their stature in life, socially or economically. Whether they are, when a rich person comes in, we should not go, did you know so-and-so is here? There's no place for that. There's no place for getting up and moving because somebody sits down close to you, that you don't, and you don't approve of how they're dressed or what they look like or what they smell like. Close your nose and suck it up, sweetheart. God's put them here for a reason. Amen. There is no division in Christ. None. Zero. And see, all of these things were going on 
in different churches, and that's why Paul addressed it to the Galatians and to the Colossians. There is no difference. Amen. Male and female. He said there's, no, there's not even male and female in Christ. Did you know that? There's not. Did you know that in Christ, in union with Christ, God doesn't see us as male or female. Now, we see one another as male and female because it's glaring right in front of you. But in Christ, there's no difference. I know, and I've told you this story before, when, when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, I started going back to church. You know, I, in, the, in the lifestyle that I lived in the, in the hippie culture, we, it's not like it is now where everything's accepted. There's just every kind of style, fashion, look you can think of. You know, you can't even, you don't even know all the different things that people belong to. But in, in the 60s and in the 70s, in the early 70s at least, to, you know, to have long hair and dress like we dressed, we were very much looked down upon by people. We called them straights. And that didn't have anything to do with sexual preference, but straights were just ordinary people. And we, we were shunned. I remember at work, there was this one particular guy that when I was working with a phone company, he liked to stir up trouble. And when I was working in the, what we called the big house, the big telephone offices, you know, downtown or, or different areas, I would be behind a bay of equipment. It's just a, you know, about 35, 40 feet, you know, long. And it's just switch gear from the floor up to about 10 feet tall. And, uh, and I'm working back there soldering something or rewiring something, you know. And, and the equipment bays were about this thick, you know. So on the other side, you could, people would be walking by. And that was the front. I was on the back side where all the wiring was. And the front side was where all the, where the relay covers and the switches and things people would come and adjust. I'd be back there working. And, and this, this guy that was always causing trouble, he pretended like he liked me, liked to talk to me. But then he would set me up. I finally figured out what he was doing. I would, I would be back there working and another coworker would come by and he would get into a conversation. Hey, what do you think about Anderson? Right there while I'm working. And the, and the other guy wouldn't know that I'm there. The other guy would say, well, you know, I think he's confused. I mean, they would say all kinds of stuff. I think he's totally mixed up. And uh, to, to be a hippie, because uh, I asked one time, what, what do you think? He said, well, I just think that, that you're all dirty. You know, you don't take baths, you don't wash your hair, you just, you're filthy, you know. Well, that wasn't true. We loved our hair. <laughs> we, we took care of our hair. We didn't necessarily style it the way they wanted it styled, but it was clean, I guarantee you. And, uh, and smelled good. But what I'm saying is, on the job where I worked, this was in 1970, I took the job in 1970, in the early 70s, most of the men, the older men that I worked with were World War II era aged men, like my dad's age and some younger, you know. Racism was rampant in our nation. It just was. And uh, I found out pretty, and I actually heard men say this. Well, black people can't help but being black. But you hippies could help it. And you, you're worse than they are. Now, none of that is valid. But I'm saying that to say this. That's, that's what I felt. Well, on our side of it, we thought we were better. Because we were enlightened. We were smarter. So we didn't like straight people. Because we knew they didn't like us. And we thought they were stupid. 
When I started going back to church, God sent me back to a church full of straight people. Thank God there, I don't know what I've done if I'd been by myself. When I got there, there were a group of about 10 or 15 hippies there that had started coming to church. There could have been a big divide. There was no divide at all. We loved the older, they would, they would make jokes about our clothes and about our hair and we would laugh and hug one another's neck and the spirit of God would move in the church and we would weep and, and hug one another and praise God together and there was just such unity and harmony and that wouldn't have happened outside of that setting. Looking like we looked, you, we, we would not have had that kind of fellowship with ordinary people anywhere. But see, inside the church, as young men, I was in my, I was 20. And so we were all 20 and 20-ish, you know, in those few years we were there. We knew the names of all of the older people in the church. We knew them by name. Because, now, now we didn't necessarily go out to eat with them. You know, it's not saying that you can't have friends. You can't have some people that are your age or your group, you know, in, in life, you know, that like the things that you like. There's nothing wrong with, with that. But when we went to church, we knew the names of the old people, the middle-aged people. They knew every one of our names. We fellowshiped during times when the church would greet one another. We're all over the church and hugging one another. There, there ought to be equality, in the house of God, because there is equality in the house of God. And this is what was going on there that he said, you know, you're all divided. Well, praise the Lord. True communion. Let's go back. Let's wrap this up real quick and we'll receive chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That the Lord himself on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often, excuse me, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Excuse me. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, he's not saying you can be unworthy. He's not talking about your walk with God, whether you are living right or, or you feel worthy or not. Jesus made you worthy. I said, Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, Jesus made you worthy to receive communion. He's talking about the manner in which they were, they were receiving communion in an unworthy manner because of their division, because of the, uh, tr- the way they treated one another. Had all of these divisions and the strife in the church. He said, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in, a, in an unworthy manner, now notice, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Yikes! You think, do you think that's serious? I mean, does that sound serious to you? That's, that's deadly serious. To receive communion with division and strife makes a person guilty as if they crucified Christ. Wow. For he who eats, verse 28 says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He, he didn't say examine yourself and then don't like what you see and then don't eat. He said examine yourself and make it right. 
straighten up your attitude, start treating people right, and then eat of this bread and drink of this cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's exactly what they were doing. When they were saying, I am of Paul, I am of, of, of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ, they were, they were divided. They, they didn't realize, they, they weren't discerning the fact that the Lord's body is one. The church, Christians, are not merely followers of Christ. We are members of Christ. There's a difference. And members of one another. Christ is not only our Lord, he is our life. What Jesus founded was not simply a society which studies and propagates his ideas. A mere collection of individuals who subscribe to his teachings and philosophy. But, the, but what Jesus founded was a living organism. The church is a living organism of which the members are interrelated parts who live by his life. A body indwelt and guided by his spirit. And he went on to say, for this reason, this not understanding this, the, the body of Christ, not discerning the body of Christ, for this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means many in the church were weak, had infirmities of different kinds, they were sick, and many had died. Did you read that? Many... Many, not a few, not just one or two. Not, you know, you don't remember a couple of years ago. So No, many. In other words, there were people all over the church missing who had died because of this. This division was, that's why I said earlier, this division was literally killing people in the church and, and, and putting other people in a sick home. Wow. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may, that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, to be chastened of the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord made them sick. Now, you, if you didn't know the whole Bible, you would think that. You would think, well, they were chastened of the Lord they were because they didn't judge themselves. The Lord judged them. He chastened them. He made them sick. If you just read this, you would think that. But if you read other places, you know that, that Jesus went about doing good and healing. God is all about healing. I mean, Jesus healed people. He, he, had, he, healed, he, he went into to cities and towns and healed everybody there. You know there were some creeps there. You know there were some nasty people there. You know there were some people who weren't living right. He healed them all. God is a God of mercy. He doesn't put sickness and disease. But Paul talked about in, in this book and, and in another place, he talked about turning someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He said because of, of sin that was going on in the church, something, one of those other things that was going on in the church. Wow, what a group. He said when you meet together with me, my spirit, and the, and the authority of Christ and the power of God, he said to the church, you turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in, in the day of, 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 of uh, revelation when the Lord comes. So that's when, when, when God, if we don't judge ourselves where strife is, it's the division and strife in the church, I'm gonna say it for the third time, is the biggest trouble that can happen in a church, the biggest problem. 
He said, if you don't judge that, he said, I will have to, I, I, I have to allow Satan to afflict you. That's the correction of the Lord. I have to take my hand off of you and allow you to be afflicted. I don't, he said, God won't do it, but he has to allow it sometimes when we're in that kind of disobedience. Well, we shouldn't be. There's no excuse for it. Stay in love with one another. Don't, don't, just, don't just come to church and talk to one or two people. That's, that's, not, that's not love. Respect one another. Get to know somebody. It doesn't mean you have to have them over to your house. But you could. You could. But at least get to know people. And let people of all age groups and all other kinds of groups, whatever there might be, you know, intermingle and let, and let people know that, 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 that you recognize that you and they are one. We're members. We're members of one another. Glory to God. Amen. And of course, there's another aspect of not discerning the Lord's body, and that's not discerning the fact that his body was broken for our healing. It's because scripture says, by his stripes on his body, we are healed. That's another way that people don't discern the Lord's body, and they end up being sick, end up dying early, because you have to appropriate these blessings. Amen? Glory to God. Well, let's, let's receive communion together. Let's, let's partake of this blessed ceremony in a spirit of love for one another. Amen. Let, let's, not just, let's not just pass the cup down the aisle and just sit here and take it. Let's, let's think about one another. Look around. Stand up and look around. Just stand up for a minute. You're still getting stuff together. Stand up and look around. Is there somebody here that, that, that you don't know and you've maybe, maybe somebody you've snubbed. Maybe somebody you, don't, you didn't like the way they look. You need to go to them before you leave here today. Put your arm around them. Love on them. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.